Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Cuthbert up against uh, Scottish international teammate Lauren Hemp Carter. That's a good looking ball. It's flicked in. Wonderful header. Gura Wrighton gives Chelsea the lead. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. On today's show, we big up the WSL title race as Chelsea battle past Man City and Arsenal drop more points, leaving us with a huge title bout on Friday night and a Manchester derby showdown on Sunday. After Everton parted company with John Luke Vasseur after just 10 games, is this the start of a hiring-firing trend? Again? And we ask whether Emma Hayes and Gareth Taylor are right. Is it time the WSL and other domestic leagues were expanded? Two. Signing it for We've got a little theme this week. We had a theme last week, but I forgot to reference it. Mm. Um, it was supposed to be a funky shirt one, but there wasn't like a specific funky shirt theme. Mm-hmm. It was, we all kind of went in different directions. Whereas this week, there is a very definitive theme, which anyone who sees social media clips or any pics will be able to tell us. Chloe, the theme was your idea. What is the theme? Uh, well, I mean, it, it should be pretty easy to guess uh, from the photos, but uh, it's uh, Checkered Shirt Week. 
Um, I just thought I'd do something a bit different, you know, go back to the traditional LGBTQ plus set. Go back to your roots, your foundations. Yeah, I just think it's always nice to have a throwback just to remember where you came from. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I think everyone's done really well. Rachel's been complaining the whole time about wanting to take it off, but I'm refusing to let her do that. It looks so lovely. Um, Just like you're going to chop some wood. I know, yeah. Again, another trope. I don't know if anyone watches The Masked Singer, but the only reason I watch it is so at the end I can go, take it off. Take she it off. Where Take is this going? Every week. No one, no Marsing fans week in the she does house. It's really getting weird. worse. No, yeah. no Marsing fans in the Ramble house. You're a concern. Maybe producer Charlie or producer Finn are Marsing fans. I don't know, but it's it's a ridiculous show. And Michael Owen was on it, dressed as a donut. Come She's on, still what? Anyway, um, let's get into the footy. Yes, um, it was a really fun weekend. Um, we we kind of had a bit of a luxury February when it comes to fixtures because we had a weekend just gone with a lot of important games at the top and the bottom because we had that Leicester-Birmingham rematch and then weekend coming up we're going to be doing it all over again. And we, we all talked about last weekend being the title decider and I don't think I think this weekend is going to be the title decider. Well I also think what's great about this season and I feel like I may have I've said this before um, but before I feel like we used to look at the calendar and just be like right when are Arsenal playing City? When are Arsenal playing Chelsea? Vice versa. Because those are the weekends that are going to define the season. Whereas actually, because there's been a lot of surprises this year and big results, Reading being Chelsea, Chelsea drawing points against Brighton again, uh, Arsenal losing to Birmingham City, it actually means that like every weekend has a bit more importance. And then those big weekends where the top teams are matching up against each other level up into yeah. like even bigger ones. They're elevated, aren't they? And you've got now four teams, I think, who are actually fighting it out for three Champions League spots. And I think Manchester United are squeezing their way into the title race. They're making it very difficult for Manchester City. I'm also going to just throw Reading's name out there just because they've creeped up the table. They have a game in hand, which if they won... What's that, five WSL wins on the bounce? I think it's more. More than that. And I think if they win their game in hand, they'd be tied with on points with Man United, which is... Insane. That's ridiculous. But, you know, yeah, I do think those big four names are, I think it's going to switch around a bit. I do think maybe Chelsea have the momentum. Um, and Spurs are in fourth now, only one point behind United. When we thought the wheels had fallen off. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are. I think I think it is really exciting, but let's focus on those two games at the weekend. First up, Chelsea beating Manchester City 1-0. Um, I expect a lot more from Manchester City in this game because they'd had a few free-scoring weeks. They beat Spurs pretty comfortably in the Conti Cup as well to get to the final. And I expect a lot more of them, but the end product, boy, was it lacking. There was zero final ball, zero creation. And it was just like that semi-final of of the Cup at, at, at at the CFA. I agree. Where it was like annihilate Lauren Hemp's threat and you essentially win the game. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it was it was a difficult game for Man City, but it shouldn't have been that difficult. I think obviously given off the back of the, the run they've had in, in you know the recent games and you know I was looking at some of the stats that they have in the last nine games they've scored thirty seven goals. So they've come back off the bad momentum that they had at the start of the season and were sort of going in and building confidence. So I expected them to be bringing a lot more. But I think, like you said, I mean, Chelsea defensively were absolutely phenomenal. And I think, you know, Hemp being basically taken out of the game, um, you know, Shaw wasn't getting deliveries that she's, that she's used to. So, you know, for me, I think Chelsea definitely have the upper the upper hand of this, this title race. I'll give Man City a little bit of credit because I think if we'd looked three months ago, we would have thought Chelsea were going to trash them destroy them yeah. yeah so I will say we're seeing a little bit more of that Man City of old and we're seeing that confidence and that 
fluidity. I know I've touched on that before, but we're seeing that kind of Manchester City style of play come back into their game, which is good. Um, I do agree about Chelsea's defence because that used to be their kind of weak area. And especially with Magda Eriksson out, you would think that their defence might crumble a little bit like it did uh, last season. But they're back to playing a back four and Nowen and Bright are playing really well together. I think as well, the they have a number of players in the Chelsea squad that have been really versatile in this last kind of two-month period where they've had some injuries, um, which I think has been really, really valuable for them and maybe the key to their success. The likes of your girl, Wrighton, Jess Carter, Pernilla Harder, Aaron Cuthbert, they can play many different roles and, and you often hear the commentators say that they're, they're, they've been all over the park. Um, so I think the work rate of those players in particular has been huge. Um, and I think we're probably used to seeing a bit more of a free scoring Chelsea, uh, but leaking goals. And, and now they're not really doing that as much. They're much more def- uh, defensively solid, I think. I'm struggling to see, though, what is Manchester City's game plan beyond Lauren Hemp and Caroline Weir on the ball. Because there is there's just not enough creativity there and I, I just I'm struggling to see what the ideas are. Yeah, and I think that's where they were struggling over the last few months was goals. You know, Ellen White wasn't scoring for Man City. She's scoring for country, but it's just not working for her at club. Um and I think when a team nullifies that threat of of the wingers, particularly Lauren Hemp, now more so Jess Park, who's been playing really well, um Hayley Rossa when she's fit. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't happen the same way. It doesn't come through the centre all, at all. It's more get the ball, as you said earlier, Chloe, get the ball to the wings and, and send it across. And if there's no one there to meet them. I do have to give massive credit to Ruby Mace, though, because she was really good, actually, on Sunday. And I think she stepped up because a lot of people spent the season asking Gareth Taylor, play Ruby Mace. You're forcing Jill Scott to play at centre-back. Alana Kennedy has not had a good season since joining City. So play Ruby Mace. And you know what? She has put a marker down now for that position. And I'm really impressed with what she did because that was a tough game to to have that responsibility. And with the return of Lucy Bronze, I do think Manchester City are looking a lot more solid defensively. So I think they deserve credit for that. But then the problem is going forward, just feel like they're lacking ideas. I think it's difficult, though. I think when you've got such a solid, confident back four that Chelsea have built now, and I think, you know, even without Ericsson, they've still got so much more experience there with Bright. You've got, you know, the youngster Carter doing absolute business, you know, keeping um, Hemp at bay. And, you know, like, like Hayes was saying, I mean, I, I give full credit to, to Carter. She's a young player, just come into the setup, and she's, you know, now looking at potentially being part of the, you know, the England squad. Um, you know, and Emma Hayes is knocking on the door saying she should be getting more attention from, from England, and, and rightly so. So I think there is that versatility there at, at the back now. Um, I, I'm really glad to see her playing well as well because I know she went through a rough patch um, last season and you know she I think she came off Twitter just because of the amount of abuse she was getting um, and that's not to say that you need to play well to not get abuse but you know I'm just pleased for her in terms of her confidence having games like that under her belt is going to do wonders not just for her progression but for Chelsea as well and as you say getting more minutes for England hopefully. Well I think it's also weird because I think any player like her who was kind of thrown into the spotlight really young at Birmingham City, was like playing in the Champions League when she was like 16 and had a lot of big reputation. I think she won PFA Young Player of the Year. And then you join a side like Chelsea, kind of knowing that you're not going to be starting a lot of games. And then you get that opportunity because of injuries. Marin Mielder gets injured in the Connie Cup final. And then you're expected to play right back for the rest of the season. And she had like her game, the game of her career, a game of her Chelsea career, definitely against Wolfsburg in the Champions League last season. And, you know, she got a lot of applauds for that and then became a go-to choice for for Emma Hayes in, in Mara Mielder's absence. But this season, she's really struggling that back three. And I'm intrigued to see whether once Ericsson is fit, 
Emma Hayes still goes back to the back three that she, it seems like, really wants to make work. Or she realises that, A, if she's going to do a back three, Jess Carter can't fit into it and it should be Anik Nguyen instead. Or B, she's going to stick with a back four and play Jess Carter in her favourite position at right right back and, and let her be comfortable because it just seems like if she's going to do a back three, Jess Carter shouldn't be the option. Because it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's impacting her confidence definitely because when her she's had really bad patches this season is part of that back three. Yeah, I agree. I hope that it's she sticks with the back four. I think what we saw a lot of from Jess um, Jess Carter this weekend was some of the tackles she was putting in, some really impressive runs back. She really marshaled Lauren Hemp. Um, and I don't and she think she just loves playing against yeah. Lauren Hemp because she did that yeah. in the cup semi-final as well. But I think she has a lot more confidence doing that as a fullback, whereas when she's in part of that back three, she knows that if she doesn't time the tackle right, that there's no kind of cover. So I just think her confidence is entirely different when she's playing the two different positions. Um, they're two different formations. So I hope she sticks with the back four. One of the other big games of the weekend as well was uh, Arsenal against Manchester United. Rachel, you and I were both there. Um, pretty spicy game, a pretty interesting game. I was kind of gutted for Man United because I think they deserve to win that one. Um, and I think it shows their growth definitely from from that game in November where they lost 2-0 to Arsenal and offered very little going forward. I think Skinner's kind of got Adeval's number now. I think he knows how to beat that team. And in a parallel universe, Ella Toon takes that chance on 71 minutes and she scores and United win that game 2-0. But she misses a ridiculously good one-on-one opportunity. And then Kate McCabe gets sent off about five minutes later. And then Black Sinners gets that equaliser in the, in the 79th minute or whatever it was. And a brilliant Miedemar assist. But really, United should have won that game. Yeah, that's something Mark uh, Skinner touched on after the game. And he is perpetually positive. I like that he always looks for positives in his team's performances. He is a, a, a philosopher, isn't he? He He's is. always going on some tangent about life. But I think, a post-match with him. I think that has bled into the team in terms of their confidence and that he can always point out There's the There's massive belief. Yeah, and the learnings that they've gotten from games. And I think while Ella Toon looked devastated after that game, I was shooting that end as well. I had her in my lens and I was just following her as she shot and just waited for the celebration and it just never came. She's on the floor, as you oh. see, head in hand. Um, but I think, no, he said the fact that they were coming away from Arsenal disappointed that they didn't get three points said a lot about them as a team. And it does um, because they are no longer, not that they were ever a walkover, but they are no longer a team that anyone can take for granted. Like you never know who's going to win in a, in a United game with the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal and Man City. Um, so yeah, it's making the what used to be a top two and a top three and a top four now. And I think that's really, really, as you say, spicy. And looking at Arsenal as well, there, there's a bit of a weakness creeping in when it comes to the defending set pieces. The Alyssa Russo header that she scored, Carbon 10th minute, exactly the same as the goal in the Conti Cup quarterfinal that Russo scored, Katie Zellum corner comes in. Arsenal also conceded from a set piece against Brighton before they managed to pull it back and, and win 2-1. And there's a bit of a defensive weakness there. I think Zinsberger has had a decent season when it comes to shot stopping, but I don't think she's brilliant from corners or free kicks. I think she's a bit hesitant coming out. She doesn't look and confident. She gets swamped. She's easily swamped by players. And perhaps that's her Her defenders need to do better at protecting her as well. And then also, I think a lot of um, a lot of Arsenal's defenders just 
aren't being alert enough at, at, at set pieces to, to pick up players and runs. And I think it's way too easy at the moment. Yeah, and that's something I've noticed across the pitch a little bit is that alertness, that sharpness that Arsenal seem to be lacking. They take an extra touch or they take an extra second before they try and release a ball or find a pass. And you're seeing you, that you, from players. The crowd were getting a bit tetchy on, on Saturday as well. They really wanted the ball to move yeah. faster. They yeah. wanted the ball out to, to, to the, the wings faster. And they felt like the team weren't doing it. And it was, it was tense. And you're seeing it from players that you're used to seeing zip the ball around. Kim Little, you know, is is taking extra touches. Jordan Nobbs is the same. Leo Volti gets herself into trouble sometimes, not releasing the ball quick enough. Um, so it's it's kind of feels like it's in all aspects of the game, nearly. Mm. I mean, even Viv Miedema sometimes, who we're not used to seeing taking an extra touch, for example, will take an extra touch. And maybe it's the confidence. Maybe it's the team lacking that kind of belief in themselves. I think... Arsenal are kind of mirroring what Chelsea had last season when Eriksen got injured, where they're trying to patch together a bit of a, a defence that just isn't really working. There doesn't seem to be a so lot of So many changes all the time as well. Yeah, and we talk a lot about Arsenal needing centre-backs. They've got bloody loads of them now. They just keep injuring them. So Yeah, or they're ill or they got COVID or like there's a bit of a revolving door of issues, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, and you had the likes of Leo Olti dropping back there. Um, Souza came in and I think she went into midfield at one point as well. You know, there's a lot of kind of swapping and we talked about versatility in the Chelsea team, which seems to be working for them. But I think when you're playing around with your defence so much... That's you're not going to have the confidence there. If you don't have the confidence in your defence, it's it's not good for the team. And when you've been forced to make a lot of changes like he has because of injury, because of illness, because of COVID, it is difficult because you've got enforced rotation, which you don't want. But then we saw them finish the game on Saturday with, at one point, kind of Ford, Blacksenius and like Marnham on, a right, on the right of a front three. She was really high up the pitch. And then Miedemar sitting behind. And yes, Miedemar got that assist from deep in her own half and it was a ridiculous ball but I still do think she is playing far too deep on Dionis Odeval and dropping dropping essentially into a central midfield role and although we know she can spray the ball around like no one else I still just don't think that's effective use of her uh, as a player and I, and I just felt like even though they got the equaliser I was kind of like at what cost? <laughs> I tell you what like I thought she stood out for me for her work rate not in front of goal. Like I know she had a really good chance in the first half and she hit the crossbar, but she was coming back deeper and she was really strong for set pieces in defence for Arsenal. Um, she was a real leader on the pitch and Molly Hudson for the Times wrote a really good article about how she thinks Blackstenius is the key to kind of giving Viv Miedema the opportunity to to use her better deeper. And she does prefer playing that number 10 role over a striker. So I think those two playing together could be really, really effective because Arsenal haven't been getting the balls into their forwards. She's not been getting the service and when she does drop back to get it, she's got no one to pass it to really. So I think if they're playing Blackstenius and Miedema together, that could be really effective for them. Yeah, do you think we're going to see him go with that? I hope so. Against because Chelsea on Friday night. She said on Sky on Sky Sports that she wants to play more with Blackstenius and like I think they read each other very well. She said that she, as soon as she came on, to keep making that run that she would find her. And I think if you've got a pairing like that that work well together so early on in their kind of playing relationship, that could be, they need to utilise that. And I think Viv is calling for it. A lot of others are calling for the two of them playing together. So I think it's worth trying for sure. Do you, do you also not think though, for me, it should be someone like Leo Volti or Kim Little, Jordan Nobbs making that pass and Miedemar should be there you know, within distance of, of Blackstenius to either play the ball off her or hold it up or... But they're not. They're not doing that. They're not getting that service from their midfield this season. And that's been one of the biggest issues, in my opinion, is that they're not getting that. It's yeah, not totally, the same but sharpness. It should, it should be. It should be. 
But if it's not working, don't, you know, the definition of madness is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. But it's, then essentially you're like sacrificing a player. Like Vivian Minima shouldn't be forced to make to do that role because they've got three very good central defensive midfielders who could do that. So why is she? Why are you essentially losing an attacker in order for them to play that role? That just doesn't make sense. If it results in goals, I think it might be worth the risk. It's just such a scary proposition, though, isn't it? I think I agree. When you've got a player who's going to drop back and try and pick up the ball and then take it forward and, and you know and create those kind of passes that Miedemar can, I think then you are, you become very reliant on one player to then deliver the goods and normally you know one against two at the back or whatever whatever the situation is. So I do think you know if that is going to be your tactic going forwards I, I don't think you're going to see as many goals happening because you're just not going to have the, the same kind of firepower going up against the, the back line but you're not seeing the goals now this is the this is the problem it's not like you're going to be turning off the goals tap by dropping Viv that, that, that ain't running at the moment they yeah well exactly she ain't getting the goals but what, so. what's ridiculous is like it's the the quality of the midfield that Arsenal mm-hmm. have it seems like what they're doing is just flooding the midfield with more and more and more players mm-hmm. and barely getting results out of that I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I think if if Viv is calling out for playing that more link up play, I mean, don't play as deep as she did this weekend. She was she was back in defence quite a bit, but you know maybe it's about having her the slightly deeper forward at least, um, because I'm not sure we're seeing the best out of that midfield. Yeah, it'll be really intriguing to see what happens, on especially Friday against Chelsea night, yeah, yeah. under the lights at Kings Meadow. Going to be a big crowd. Do you guys have any predictions? Um, I think Chelsea have the momentum. I think um, now that they've nailed down their defence, if they get an early goal, um, I think they're, which Arsenal are kind of do concede early goals. Um, I think once they, they get that, they'll go on to win the game. They can defend much better. Um, and I just think the form Arsenal are in now, they don't have confidence when they play Chelsea and Chelsea always come out against Arsenal with swagger. Um, and they they are their mentality monsters is what Emma Hayes called them and I think that's something that might be lacking in the Arsenal dressing room at the moment because of their form so for me I reckon Chelsea are going to edge it I agree I think Chelsea have definitely got the edge the momentum I think that the drive seems to be there with them and I think now that we're coming to the business end of the season you can really see Chelsea stepping up and taking it to the next level whereas I think Arsenal have kind of stagnated a little um, and I think it's you know it's been a bad bad run of form in terms of you know I don't think Arsenal could have picked a worse weekend to have a draw on because I think if they'd have won, if they'd have won the the Man United game I think then it would have been a bit more of an even keel but I think with things how they are Chelsea now needs to just capitalise on the fact they've got the game in hand and these additional points are going to take them to the top so um, yeah it's going to be a good game also it depends who plays. <laughs> Is yeah. Leo Williamson going to be back? It, I it, think. It, there's a lot of question marks over fitness, but I do think Arsenal being helped by a bit more of a fighting spirit and a comeback spirit that they've had in the last couple of weeks with those late goals at, at City and against Manchester United. There's also a Manchester derby on Sunday, which is going to be really exciting because United have never beaten City in the league. They did beat them in the Conti Cup. There's a lot more belief there now. This could be their year. It's going to be at the CFA, which I think you know will probably play a little bit into City's hands, but we know that Farmy Army are noisy and rowdy, so very exciting. Two very exciting games, Friday night, Sunday lunchtime. Let's get it. Got Miedemar in a good position twice. Here she is. Once she slides, gets the other time. She drilled it off the bar. This time she's played a brilliant pass. Black Stenius for one one. She's done it. Cool. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Join me, Pete Donaldson, and YouTuber Chris Broad as we offer you a taste of life in the most exciting country in the world on our podcast, Abroad in Japan. Whether it's crazy bars, unique vending machines, or tips for learning Japanese, we cover it all. Recently, we even heard a particularly unique chat-up line. While we were chatting, a local Japanese guy in his early 30s made his way over to me and started chatting in broken English. Our chat about general stuff was going all right before he proudly announced... I like big girls. To me, wow. <laughs> to me, with a wink. Truly flattering, <laughs> flirting right there. Search Abroad in Japan wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Abroad in Japan is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. I feel like every single time a manager is sacked in the WSL, we start the conversation about, oh, oh, is there too much for hiring, firing culture now in the league? Are people too impatient? But that midnight uh, midnight <laughs> feast of a, of a sacking on Tuesday last week of Jean-Luc Vassar at Everton, uh, let go after just 10 games in charge, was quite ridiculous. <laughs> What are they trying to do? We don't sleep. You know, we've got little WhatsApp groups going. Someone's going to see it. It's going to get shared. And it got plenty of views at quarter past midnight. <laughs> and then we all got a, a press release that said, good morning, as though we were going to wake up the next morning to the news when actually we were all over it. Um, madness. I don't really know what Everton ex- are expecting. I think they're pretty naive if they think bringing in so many new players. I, I, like Willie Kirk never got a chance. At least he'd been there and he had an idea of how he wanted to play. He had a relationship with the club. He brought in the players he wanted to bring in. Wasn't given a chance to mould them the way he wanted. I don't know what they were expecting from Jean-Luc Vasseur. I think we did touch on the fact that he was getting more time, the time that Kirk wasn't afforded. And they didn't even <laughs> get that. Apparently not. Um, but I have, you know, I think it was Tom Gary lifting the lid on that dressing room. I don't think there was a lot of happiness there with what um, Jean-Luc Vasseur was, was bringing. I mean, they did go for a big name. I'm not sure whether he had the impressive credentials. Um but yeah, I just don't understand what they expected. I think it just makes them look really naive. I think Everton thought that it was going to be a very quick turnaround in terms of going from, you know, where they were playing, where they were at, the levels that they were at, to bringing in a, a manager who has a vast amount of international experience with, with Leon and obviously achieved some amazing things. But at the same time, that Leon squad probably could have achieved a lot, regardless of who was managing them at the time. So, you know, it was a completely different ball game. Jean-Luc being brought in to, you know, try to build a team up pretty much who were sort of struggling down the bottom to try and get them up into, you know, the top the top sections of the WSL. So I don't think 
really. I mean, he's not he's not been given enough time to to make that that change. And as a player, I'd be so concerned about the fact that we're now going to have three managers in one season. I mean, you don't know, you know, each manager brings with them, you know, a different culture, a different ethos, a different, you know, style of play. And now they're just going to have to reset that again and, and go again. So for me as a, as a player, I think I'd start to be feeling very confused, very frustrated. And, you know, you've got, what, two, three months left of the season. It seems a bit of a mad time to try and bring in someone to to try and improve things for, for the last, you know, 10 games of the season or whatever's left. Yeah, I did a lot of digging into this for for a piece of The Athletic. And it, it sort of felt like, an from the people I spoke to, it felt like an inevitable situation where you had players who had a lot of love for the manager who had been sacked. And, and that was frustrating for some of them. A new manager had come in trying to implement what he wanted to do, change some things. And as often does happen in a lot of football clubs, the players themselves were frustrated about that. Um, and because the sporting director had left in November, it felt like there wasn't a middleman, an important sort of negotiator that players could go to and, and say, you know, we're unhappy about this and we want support X, Y, Z. And it was kind of like there was no way to kind of support both the the coaching staff and the players through this change. Um, and I think then you add a little sprinkling of the general chaos at Everton Football Club at the moment across the men's and women's side. Extremely ambitious owners with a lot of money and they expect results. And also because of that, and we see this across football, they also want to have a real hands-on involvement in the in the day-to-day operations. I think that's really hard as a coach as well. And I think both Willie Kirk and John Luke Vasseur felt this. Is that like you know, you feel like you can't do your job because there is a higher, you know, hierarchy that are wanting to make decisions and it feels like things are out of your hands almost. And I think that's really difficult for a lot of managers. And it felt like by the end of John Luke Vasseur's tenure, it's like, well, the results haven't been good anyway. Everyone's kind of a bit fed up. So this is the best scenario for all involved. But it's like, like you said, I mean, what's the point in doing it now? But I feel like you know, it, it seems like both parties weren't massively happy with the situation. I think that. I think the relationship between Kirk and the players when they were going through a, a rocky patch was a lot better than what was what was the case with Jean-Luc Vasseur and the players because I interviewed him after their trashing to, at West Ham um, and he kind of, he just didn't, he didn't really have an answer. He was just kind of like, I don't know, I don't know what's happened kind of thing. And I know that there was a very unhappy dressing room after that game. When Izzy Christian came to talk to me, she'd been in tears. You know, I, it seemed like there was a disconnect. Um, so had it been the other way around and Jean-Luc had been come in first and got sacked, it kind of would have made sense. And I think they would have gotten through that rough patch if Willie Kirk had been the second manager. Mm. Whereas it happened the other way around where they probably lost a manager that they were backing and enjoyed playing under and... Uh, to get someone in to change things, but it just, it wasn't doing what was expected. It was, yeah, a difficult situation. And I think expecting such quick results in a league that only has, what, 22 games? Like, you can go through a rough patch of four or five games and it can have quite a big impact on your season. Um, And we see plenty of teams go through it. Man City have done it. You know, you you were talking about getting rid of Taylor early on this season. They've kind of come out the other side of that. Uh, Reading had a terrible start to the season and now they're they're potentially going to be joint third at Manchester United if they win their game in hand. So clubs go through bumpy patches. Just normally, you know, having your head in the chopping block all the time is not going to be an effective way to to manage that. Yeah, I suppose the positive from this situation is perhaps it gives like both the the, the players and and the club an opportunity to reset because it it seems like perhaps the Vasseur experiment was wasn't going to work regardless. 
Um, and the results kind of was just an, an added element onto that. Whereas now they get an opportunity to hopefully reset and rebuild. I suppose my doubts would be, as, as, as are a club as ambitious as them and as kind of chaotic as them right now, willing to hand over the keys to someone who wants control. And I think Frank Lampard's facing the same situation on the men's side is you've got a lot of internal politics going on there and you're going to need to fight through that in order to be successful. It's going to make it hard to get another manager as like, well. They've burned That's a lot, they burned a lot of bridges. As, and as like, prospective they've got managers, I'd be thinking, I'm, still in, I'm staying well clear. Exactly. But, like, well, I'm going to be out of a job in what, two days. I thought days. Birmingham looked chaotic when it comes to bringing new managers in, but geez, I wouldn't touch Everton either with the Bardfall. I don't yeah. understand. I don't understand why they didn't just keep him to the end of the season, just write off this season as, yeah. a, as a bit of a mess and then just start again afresh. You know, get into pre-season, new manager. You know, you've still got the players who have, you know, the phenomenal signings from last from this season and go again, then start afresh. But doing it now is utter. It just feels like it puts even more pressure on the players as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I hope, I mean, obviously they did lose again at the weekend under interim coaches, but I do think there's probably instantly perhaps a bit of relief there. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully the mood in the camp is a little bit better because like you said, it, it seems like that there wasn't a great vibe and atmosphere. But in general, do we think that sort of Everton are the exception to the rule because they are quite chaotic? Or do you guys actually think that it is kind of a an example of this slightly more short-term approach that a lot of clubs are having. No, I'd, I'd like to think that it's an exception to the rule. It's just chaos FC. Yeah. I mean, like I touched on there, there's been a number of clubs who've gone through some pretty bumpy patches. Brighton are having a pretty torrid time at the moment. Um, and I think it's a long-term project. Like, to expect something so quickly out of managers and new players, like I said, is naive. And, you know, I hope it doesn't mean that Everton are looking at their women's team and saying, if we don't get up into Champions League, it's not worth investing in. I hope that's not the case. Um, they just need to be a little bit more realistic, I think, with their expectations. I think they are. They're an isolated club in terms of the transitions, the, the multiple, quick, numerous transitions they keep making. So I think if you look at the rest of the WSL clubs, you know, the the Chambers, Hayes, Idavell now, I think, you know, they're going to be managers that I can see being in the WSL for a very long time. I think it is only just Everton who just haven't fi- found that um, you know, that concrete level. Yeah, maybe it's coming. Maybe Willie Kurt's going to come back. I've I mean, he's the only option left now. He's, he's not. I think all other routes. I think they've burned their bridges with Willie Kirk. <laughs> my my main goal is to build the team to to be better, to progress, and maybe to win more. So so there is a lot of lot of work uh, to uh, to succeed for the project. So we need to time. It's very important. Uh, we'll be patient and find a good organization, a good uh, method to succeed. So, a bit of expansion chat. Uh, another one that I feel like kind of comes around on on a, a cycle every now and again. Um, and we always want to talk about it because I think it's really important. And we, I feel like we're very close to it. But the, the conversation on league expansions come up again. Tom Gravery wrote a brilliant column in The Telegraph about it, talking about expanding the WSL and the championship from 12 clubs to 14 clubs. We've obviously got a lot of teams in the championship who are full-time now. Uh, banging on the door of promotion. Liverpool doing really well this season, but the battle for second is pretty exciting as well. So it feels like there's a lot of reasons why the FA can't really say no now because the ambition is there from a lot of clubs. Where do you guys stand on that? 
I agree. I think it's something I've been advocating for for quite a while because I think we're at a point now where there is so much talent in the the top two levels and also in the national leagues now where you can afford that the the sort of the gaps between them are getting smaller and smaller. So you know Liverpool going up into the WSL, I don't think it's going to be a massive jump for them. And obviously they've been in the WSL, you know, the very experienced WSL players in in that squad, so they're going to go up. But I also think that there's an opportunity there for another team in the Championship, particularly you know full time teams. Um, to be pushing up and, and getting that that exposure and that attention in 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 a, in a fantastic league, and I think likewise at the the bottom end where you've got the national leagues now, you know only one one team in the national leagues are, be, are going to be going through to the championship, and I think there's so many incredible national league teams. You know, I, I read the the Tom Gary article and he was saying there's sort of a a bottleneck type situation where you've got these teams that are ready that want to progress their women's football agenda, but they're not able to do that because they just don't have the access to the championship because only one person or one one team can take it. So I do think we're ready. I do have some it's, slight... It's block, it feels like it's blocking that progress, right? It is, and I think there's so much space in the schedule to fit in those those additional games. I mean, you know, when you've only got the... the the amount of games that we have this season, it's not going to be, it's not going to take it into into a completely different realm by in, introducing a, f- a few more games. And, and you know, I, I don't think it puts too much pressure equally. I mean, our league this year finishes on the first of May, so we could have the extra additional games. And then we we go through periods where we don't have games for you know three weeks, and we've got to try and find friendly fixtures. All those could be taken up by having you know those additional games in place. So I do think there's there's a lot of potential there. I think the only concern I do have sometimes is that if you start to have teams who aren't particularly ready to go into the the next levels going up, and I don't want to see ridiculous results happening. I don't want to see, you know, t- teams like Burnley came up, for example, them getting smashed 10-0 because that does nothing for the image of women's football either. Um, but I do think there's, I, 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 I agree. I do think we should, there should be league expansion. I yeah I think there's it's time for expansion. The women's game has been on an upward trajectory since you know 2010 2012, um, and it's only going to continue to get bigger, especially with the fact we've got two major uh, tournaments back to back. It's just going to increase that trajectory even more. I think we need to keep up with that in terms of uh, investing in the leagues and expanding the leagues. There's plenty of clubs in the FAWC and the FAWNL North and South who are investing in their team, and with there only being one spot, I am worried that the reward for all of that investment is so small that you end up running the risk of people saying it's not worth it. Um, and because investing in a women's football team, it doesn't give you you know, money back very quickly. It's a long-term investment. You need to be getting those rewards for investing. And by having a bottleneck and only having one club go up, yeah, you run the risk of losing people along the way because there's a lot of clubs down in, in the FAWNL who are investing now. And I think they deserve that reward. To play devil's advocate, because I agree with you guys, I think that there should be expansion. Would you say that perhaps the Birmingham situation, the extreme of the Coventry United situation, like being on the verge of of liquidation, does that not show that the pyramid is still a little bit fragile? To to to, and if you did expand it, perhaps you would be encouraging teams to go too fast like Coventry United did I don't agree with that I've got to say I think that's more of a governance point yeah. I think that's more of you know the FA stepping in and doing their due diligence to make sure that teams who that's step up into happen. those leagues yeah. are ready to do so and have the financial backing with the right investors and long-term investors as well not just flashing the pan investors because like you said you're not going to see those return on your investments in in a year two years three four five years time so I think that's more in terms of you know the FA trying to manage who's actually entering those leagues and making sure they've got the resources 
funding everything in place to do to do so properly. Yeah, exactly what I would have said. I think there should be protocols in place to ensure that teams that are coming up meet the requirements and not slipping through the net like Coventry's um, investors did. Um, I also think that the warnings are things to learn from. I think it's an opportunity for clubs who are looking to move up the pyramid to learn from those mistakes um, and try and prevent that happening again and for the FA to learn from those mistakes. Something that came up as well, interestingly, on expansion was a new a recent FIFPRO report uh, that came out last week talked about the term underloading, which is something I'd never heard before because mm. managers always talk about overloading and, and managing players' loads and things like that. But underloading is something that actually is really interesting because unless you're really playing international or in the Champions League, often you're not going to be playing a lot of games or it's going to be long, long gaps between games. So, so, I mean, you as a player, obviously, Chloe, what's that like for you to... It must. There must be obviously like a, a greater risk of injury as well when you do that. I think sometimes if you're, it, it works both ways. I think if you've got you know a good run of games, you're building up momentum, you're getting the wins behind your belt, and then all of a sudden you've got a period of two, three weeks where you've got to try and find a friendly. And and I think it, it can be frustrating for teams who are on a bit of a winning streak because you do lose that sense of you know going forwards. The league essentially stops for a few weeks, and you've just got to find a fixture. So, and I think. You know, I think there's so much, um, especially in the championship now and obviously the WSL even more so, where you've got um, so many strength and conditioning coaches, dietitians, all the resources behind the scenes now to be managing your loads and making sure that you're getting the right recovery. And so I think after having those additional games, I don't think it's going to have an impact in terms of, you know, players being overloaded. I, I agree that I think actually if you're if you've got more games, more fixtures, you, there's probably more opportunities to actually get more players involved in those games, more squad rotation perhaps. There's more opportunities to do that when you've got more fixtures there, sort of trial out new players a little bit more. I think as well when you're trying to professionalise the game and, and build a squad and talent, everyone says that nothing beats match experience. Like you can train all you like, but until you're in an actual match experience, it's just not going to be the same. So I think if we're trying to professionalise the game and have clubs you know, turn professional and have players have that proper kind of setup with your physios and nutrition and all that kind of stuff, you do need to be giving them those match day opportunities. So I think that will only help expand the game quicker. And I think with the uh, the Barclays investment as well, obviously they're, they're ploughing in 30 million now to the WSL and the championship. I mean, the, the benefit that the National League clubs, especially coming up into the championship, would have from that additional funding, I think would be phenomenal. So I do think it's, you know, allowing those clubs also to have access to the exposure that generates being on the FA player, having the deals with BT and Sky. So, you know, it's about getting, you know, more clubs involved and, and being able to benefit from the, the greater exposure that women's football is benefiting from at the moment. And also so many players that aren't going to play in their national team, realistically. So if they're going weeks without playing games, it's not really benefiting anyone. Yeah, and I think I think they said that it was the 2023 season onwards that the international schedule hadn't been kind of ready yet. So after the World Cup, and that was maybe the opportunity to try and look at the schedule and where more domestic games can be fit in, um, which isn't too far away. So I, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see an expansion. Well, watch this space, guys. Uh, and also, I think when you look at the fact that Championship's going to have a title sponsor as well, we're certainly moving that direction. Um, and there's lots of stuff, obviously, that we we know go on in the corridors of power at Wembley that um, I'm sure that they're working on it. Um, another big weekend of footy, like we mentioned. Where are you guys going to be? I'm hoping to be at the Chelsea-Arsenal game. Uh, if not, I'll definitely be watching it on TV. And then I'll be up at Everton-Aston Villa on Sunday. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm going to be at London City Lionesses this week. Uh, got a big game against them. Um, yeah, a couple of teams at the top of the top of the league. So I think it's uh, these points are going to matter. So I will 100% be watching that Chelsea Arsenal game. I'm looking forward to that. 
massively. You know what? Weirdly, I was kind of like anti-Friday night football, but I actually prefer it to kind of like the early Saturday morning. I think Friday night's quite fun and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that Friday night. I think it's going to be very exciting. Um, that is it for today's episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions for us, please tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet for myself, at Girls on the Ball for Rachel or at Morgie underscore 89 and we'll see you all next week. Football Ramble Presents is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 